Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour two. Well, we come to the part of the show where I may get myself canceled. (laughs) Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Across the nation, the phone number 877-973-7425. You always tread on dangerous ground when you go down this road, and here I am topic about which I might just get myself accidentally canceled. So I'm, I'm in the Denver. Well, first of all, I'm in the Atlanta airport and then I'm in the Denver airport. And I realize, you know, we are spending an inordinate amount of time as a society talking about uh, transgender people, and there are not a lot of them out in the wild. I, I mean, maybe they had some seriously good surgeries and you just couldn't tell, but I mean, have you seen Rachel Levine? And I don't mean it disparagingly, but the the Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary, I mean, he's a dude and you can tell. And and um, Leah Thomas, the, the swimmer, is is a guy. Now, not everybody has Bruce Jenner's money to become Caitlyn Jenner and and have all the surgeries to like. I mean, this is this is one of the things that just makes you realize that the trans issue is a mental health issue. Look at the amount of painful surgeries one must go through, cosmetic and otherwise to try to do the transitioning. I mean, Bruce Jenner got the, I think the Adam's apple shaved down and the chin, the, 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 the cheekbone. And so it's just a lot of restructuring and stuff to, to become uh, what your brain is telling you. It's clearly there's a mental issue there. And, and I'm just thinking now, most people don't have that sort of money and insurance isn't going to cover everything. And we don't see a lot of, a lot of trans people in the wild. You, you'd kind of notice. And yet, as a society, we're spending a lot of time talking about the issue. And what's happening is, I guess, what we should call a translash, a, a, a backlash towards the trans community. Gallup has polling on uh, America's view of moral acceptability of changing one's gender. of people said it was morally wrong in 2021 to change your gender. 56% of people, 55% of people rather, say it now. Not only that, every single political and socioeconomic demographic group has shifted against the trans issue. More Democrats today than three years ago or two years ago say men should not compete in women's sports. More of Gen Z, Gen X, uh, millennials, uh, all of the the generational shifts. More men, more women, more Republicans, more atheists, more Christians, more Muslims, more Jews. Every single demographic group has shifted to men should not compete in women's sports. Even among the gay community, more people have shifted towards Men should not compete in girls' sports. And in fact, more people in every one of these groups have shifted towards there are only two genders. Gen Z, considered the most politically liberal political group out there, demographic group out there, a majority of them say there are only two genders, male and female, and you cannot change. Now, do you know the most striking data point? Here's the most striking data point from Gallup that no member of the National Press Corps is going to tell you. Do you know the group that has shifted the most against 
men being in women's sports. People who know someone who is transgender are more likely than not to oppose them being in the opposite sex sport, the sex they identify as. A person who knows someone who's transgender is more likely to say men should not compete in women's sports than someone who does not know a transgender person. That tells me this translash is real and significant, and the data continues to show it. Austin Killips is a dude who identifies as a woman. He is 27 years old. And he has won $5,000 in a women's bike event. In North Carolina, Austin Killips won the event, beat the actual real woman by five minutes. It was the Belgian waffle ride in North Carolina, a gravel bike race. He beat the actual biological woman by five minutes to win the women's race. But do you want to put this in perspective? He came in an hour and five minutes behind the men's winner. That's right. In the men's race, Adam Roberg took the win in a three-way sprint to the line ahead of his jukebox factor teammate, Dylan Johnson, in a time of seven hours, 23 minutes, 23 seconds. Finn Gullickson Rounded out the podium for the women, runner-up in the third event of the series. Killips claimed victory in a time of 8 hours, 28 minutes, 7 seconds. He finished 5 minutes ahead of the top woman and an hour and 5 minutes behind the top man. He is a man, but he identifies as a woman. Now, it's stuff like that that causes the backlash. Anthony Bass is out of the Toronto Blue Jays. They have cut the pitcher. He's 35 years old. He called Target and Bud Light evil and demonic for their trans advocacy. Now, you wouldn't know that. You would not know that from the way the New York Times uh, writes it. He says... um, He drew backlash and boos from fans for reposting a video on Instagram that called Target and Bud Light evil and demonic for being supportive of the LGBTQ community. It wasn't his opinion. He put that video on his Instagram page, and he was cut. They have fired him. You will be made to care. Anthony Bass is being made to care. They've cut him from the team. He was supposed to catch a ceremonial first pitch to kick off Pride Weekend against the Minnesota Twins. He's been cut. Now, he apologized, by the way, for sharing the video. There's no reason to apologize in these things anymore. You're still going to get punished. There is no forgiveness in the secular religion. Only Christianity has the concept of grace. Bass is being cut. Now, how are the Toronto Blue Jays making up for you? You can't make this up. So they have fired Anthony Bass, a pitcher, They fired Anthony Bass, 
for posting a video on Instagram that criticized Target and Bud Light over advocating for the trans community. Bud Light with Dylan Mulvaney, Target using a clothing manufacturer that, that also praises Satan and its clothing manufacturing. They fired him, and now the Toronto Blue Jays have promoted minor league catcher Brady Deeker, who just came out as non-binary. Deeker's promotion, this is from Rich Lowry at National Review, comes after only seven games at AAA and two frustrating seasons at AA where the catcher, stru catcher struggled to hit, batting a collective uh, 207. Blue Jays general manager Ross Adkins said the Blue Jays organization is delighted to make baseball history and be part of the forefront of, now listen to this description. This is his quote of the LGBTQ2S plus progress. They keep adding letters. It's no longer LGBT and no longer LGBTQ. It's LGBTQ2S+. 2S stands for two spirits, which is a white person bastardization of something that Native Americans have believed. Two spirit. Now every day can be pride day at the ballpark, according to Ross Adkins of the Blue Jays. They're going to put him in starting lineup. Now, now here, here's the thing. It's going to displace the current starting catcher, Alejandro Kirk, who's a better batter and a better catcher statistically. But uh, they say, the manager says, Alejandro is a key guy for us, but he's totally committed to supporting the community, the alphabet gang community, by designated hitting now and occasionally backing up Deeker. Assuming that Brady is okay with the other guy, the starting pitcher being his backup. You got that? So the Toronto Blue Jays have fired Anthony Bass, a good pitcher, for criticizing Target and, and uh, Bud Light. They've now brought up a bad catcher who statistically is not a good catcher and are now going to make him their starting catcher, and the starting catcher is now going to be backup for the non-binary guy in order to make everyday Pride Day for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is why there's a translash. This is why this is happening. People realize it's kind of nuts. It is striking. The, the polling data shows the people most opposed to men competing against women are people who know people who are transgender. That tells you everything you need to know. Democrats have shifted against the agenda. Republicans, of course, have. Conservatives have. Liberals have. Gen Z has. Millennials have. Gen X has. Baby boomers have. Everybody has shifted against it. It's been so in your face and so bullying. I would suggest if you want societal acceptance, just Go for it. Stop Stop forcing everyone to go along with your pronoun games. Stop forcing everyone to accept what is against biology, against nature. Live your life quietly. Now, there's a side to this that needs to be addressed, and I guess I'm the person to address this. 
the problem here is that a lot of these people who are transgender struggle with mental health issues and they transition because they are convinced themselves or because doctors have told them that this will solve their dysphoria issues. They feel emotionally and mentally like they are in the wrong body and that this transition will help them resolve those issues. Whether it does or it does not, they believe it to be so. They are people who should have your compassion. And the problem is not the transgender person, but the community of activists who try to bully us into accepting it. Do you think most of these people want to be a spectacle? No. No, they don't. They want to live a quiet life. They're struggling with a mental health issue, and this is the treatment they have come upon to resolve their mental health issue, rightly or wrongly. You and I can disagree with it, but show some compassion for them. And the problem here is that the the issue is the trans advocacy community are the bullies, not actual people suffering from gender dysphoria who should have your empathy or sympathy for their struggles. And the bullying from the trans community and, and the, the alphabet gang makes it worse for all of us, including them. You can't forget that many of these people are not bullies. They're not in your face. They're not harassing you. They just want to live a quiet existence in what they think is the best way for them to live their lives. And we should be careful about lumping them into this advocacy community that actually has set back their cause by being such bullies and so in your face. Most transgender Americans do not care whether you embrace their pronouns or not. All they want to do is solve their mental health problem, and they have transitioned to do that. And they, as much as you and I, are appalled at the bullying of the transgender advocacy community, which has now set back that entire community because of its aggressive bullying of everyone else over pronouns and sports. People just want to be left alone, and that includes most members of the trans community, and we shouldn't forget that. They're not the individual members of the trans community. They're not the bad guys. They're struggling with mental health issues. It's the advocates, many of whom aren't even transgender, it's the advocates who are the bad guys, bullying everyone. Don't lose that perspective. The advocates have set back that entire community and caused this backlash against them, translash against them, by what they're doing to everybody else, and that's actually tragic. Have you ever wished you could become an even more effective conservative advocate? Like, uh, who could you rely on to give you the knowledge and information you need to make more persuasive arguments, how to knock on doors, how to show up at your local city council, or to meet your state legislator to advocate for small government. Americans for Prosperity can help you. They train you to be a better conservative activist, to grow the movement and fight for small government around the country from the local level to the federal level. And they put points on the board. Over 200 legislative victories in the past year alone advocating for smaller government and reduced regulation. Americans for Prosperity wants you on their team. You can join them at americansforprosperity.org slash eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. They've got over 30 chapters around the country in states. They're growing new ones all the time. Be a part of a movement for small government with americansforprosperity.org slash eric. Go check them out today. Well, we should probably note that the father of the in modern environmental activist movement 
has passed away over the weekend. Ted Kaczynski, uh, Dr. Ted Kaczynski, he kind of became the father of the modern environmentalist activist movement, the violent wing of it, of course. You know him better as the Unabomber. He lived in a shack in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and literally, just he was a bit of a crazy person. He would send bombs. I, I hope they don't mail invitations to his funeral. Nobody's going to want to open them. He abandoned his academic career. He was a mathematical prodigy. Uh, a, he murdered three individuals, injured 23 others. A mail bombing campaign he initiated. He believed uh, to be advancing uh, natural environment. He wanted to kill people who he thought were advancing modern technology too much, causing the destruction of the natural environment. He authored Industrial Society in its Future, a 35,000-word manifesto and a social critique against industrialization. He rejected leftism as well, advocated nature-centered form of anarchism. He is the father of the modern environmental activist movement. He lived in Montana without electricity or running water, learned survival skills, um, just, he was a, an insane person. You want to know when his insanity started? I'm not making this up. It's documented. I'm reading it from Wikipedia. You can read it in the Washington post from the late nineties for a period of several weeks in 1966. Kaczynski experienced intense sexual fantasies of being female and decided to undergo gender transition. He arranged to meet with a psychiatrist but changed his mind in the waiting room and did not disclose his reason for making the appointment. Afterwards, enraged, he considered killing the psychiatrist and other people he hated, and he considered that a major turning point in his life. There you go. Ted Kaczynski, father of the modern environmentalist activist movement, dead. No easy way to transition from there to this, but I got to tell you about Vision Computer and what they can do for you. You know, my wife actually told me this weekend while I was in Denver, my son had a computer issue and he called Vision Computer and they fixed it for him, remote it in, were able to take care of it on his computer. They can do that for you too. They can do it for your business. Think about this. You're struggling. You got a small business. You got computers for your employees and you're struggling with trying to keep those computers up to date and running. Vision Computer can solve that problem for you and they can do it very cost effectively for you for a small annual fee if you didn't get your computers from them or you're a small businessman and you need computers for your company let vision build them for you and then maintain them for you tech support your employees they call them instead of calling you they call vision for it it saves you money gives you great tech support they actually answer the phone you don't go through the call waiting hell where you're pressing one then three then five then no habla espanol Call them, 404-COMPUTE, 404-COMPUTE, anywhere nationwide, or go to visioncomputers.com, 404-COMPUTE or visioncomputers.com. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. How's about we take a couple of phone calls here? Ruth Mary, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Oh, you just got me as I was putting a Hershey kiss in my mouth. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I can enjoy two things at one time. So <laughs> talking to you and having that. Um, I was calling because I, I was listening to you off and on today as I was going in, in and out of the car. And I wanted to touch back on the Trump thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. My husband and I are both former military cryptologists. He was um, Marine Corps and I was Navy. And this thing with Trump is upsetting us. And I know you said let it work out at the ballot. I don't think a lot of the voters are going to let it work out at the ballot. And we, if we had any small percentage of what that man had at his residence in that, we would be in the brig. And I know that because you hear on the news of other military people who have been caught. But when I was in the military, we had a couple of cases where people just had a very small percentage of classified information. And believe me, they were taking care of it. Captain's mass, lost rank, and went, end up in the brig and discernible discharge. And it, I, I voted for him the last two times, and we will not vote for him this time. And I know that's probably, you know, may give Biden a chance or RFK Jr. a chance or whatever, but it really got into our crawl that he was stupid enough to be an idiot and be disgraceful to have that information in his residency and in talking about it to different people and showing it to them. If that is all true, that, I'm sorry, is a definitely a red alert. No telling if he did anything like that while he was president. He falls in the same category as Joe Biden on the age thing then. Yeah, yeah, listen, that's, that, that's well I said, think. and I, I, I got I, I appreciate it very much, and thank you for calling, and, and enjoy the Hershey's kiss as well. Um, you can say, but Hillary, but Hillary, but Hillary, and, and you should. I, I absolutely think Hillary Clinton should have been prosecuted. But you know who chose not to prosecute Hillary Clinton? Donald Trump. I know this is somewhat controversial to point out, but you got to follow the timeline here. I believe Hillary Clinton should have been prosecuted by the federal government for her emails, and I believe there is a double standard. But the Hillary Clinton investigation by the FBI did not wrap up until right before the 2016 election, which meant it was Donald Trump who could have prosecuted Hillary Clinton. It was his administration and his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, who he picked. And they did not prosecute Hillary Clinton. So if you say, yes, Hillary Clinton should be prosecuted, you're right. She should have been. And Donald Trump was the president. Why didn't he? I know logic kind of goes over people's heads, the emotional things these days. But, I, you know, I was going to save this for the end, but I might as well do this now. I, I, let me give you, having read through the indictment, Whatever you think about it, whether you think it's a witch hunt, whether you think it's a trial, you know, at at some point you do have to deal with the emotional rhetorical excesses over the logic of it's a banana republic to prosecute your political opponents, but we should have prosecuted Hillary Clinton. Okay, does that mean if we did, we'd be a banana republic? Um, There is a double standard, and I think that Democrats, it behooves them to acknowledge the double standard. You've dragged your feet on Hunter Biden's investigation, which is a pretty cut and dry thing now that he's largely admitted the laptop was his, and yet you're rushing on Donald Trump. By the way, just so you know, this Trump prosecution, it's probably going to be years before it goes to trial. He could be elected president and in the White House before this thing goes to trial. Federal prosecutions, he can make all sorts of motions and drag out the clock on this. He could do that. 
I mean, already the the New York prosecution isn't expected until March of next year. You got that one, you get this one, you get one in Georgia, it drags the clock out. Regardless of what you think about the prosecution of Donald Trump, one of the arguments made by Trump supporters is that merely by virtue of sending these documents to Mar-a-Lago, Trump declassified them as president. He had plenary power as the president, and if he said they were declassified, they were declassified. He did not even have to say it was declassified. His actions alone could declassify them. By sending them to Mar-a-Lago, he obviously intended for them to be declassified. Regardless of your views on that argument, if you read the indictment, that is one of the issues. But there's a larger issue that that does not take away from, and that is the reason Donald Trump is being indicted is because a grand jury, a federal grand jury, asked for all of the documents that contained classification markings. Not documents that were classified, not documents that were declassified, but all documents that contained classification markings. Donald Trump could declassify the documents, but they still contained the classifications. And the grand jury asked for all the documents that contained the classification markings. And Donald Trump refused to give them to the grand jury. He handed over 37 or so documents to the grand jury. His lawyers found more than 100 more that he had hidden. Not only that, one of the things that the grand jury got is the audio logs of Donald Trump's lawyer. You see, the special prosecutor made the case that Donald Trump was trying to use his lawyer to break the law. It turns out that Donald Trump's lawyer was making audio memos in the memos app on his iPhone, documenting in near real time his meetings with Donald Trump. After the lawyer would meet with Donald Trump, as he left, he would immediately begin dictating notes into his phone that were then transcribed. And the lawyer's notes described Donald Trump suggesting to the lawyer that they hide documents from the FBI, and in one case, telling the lawyer to take documents to his hotel room and then started making a plucking gesture as if he was pulling stuff out of the file, and the lawyer interpreted as Donald Trump without saying but visually noting that the lawyer should pull documents out of the file to keep them from the FBI. That's the lawyer's interpretation of it in his own audio recording that the grand jury has. So again, regardless of whether you think it was meritorious argument or not that Donald Trump could just by virtue of taking the documents to Mar-a-Lago mean they were declassified, the bulk of the case is not that. The bulk of the case is obstruction. And the obstruction charge is that the National Archives asked for any document with classification markings, and he sent them some but not all. Six months later, a grand jury says, send us every document in your possession that has classification markings. What a classification marking is, if you've ever seen a movie or something, you see at the top, it's stamped top secret or classified or eyes only. That's a classification marking. The grand jury was not asking for documents that were classified. They were asking for documents that had the classification marks on them. Donald Trump sent them 30-some documents. According to the prosecutor, uh, Walt Nada, who worked for Donald Trump, was asked by Donald Trump to move documents to hide them from Donald Trump's lawyers. And the prosecution alleges Mr. Nada did that. The prosecution alleges, based on the own audio recordings of Donald Trump's lawyers, 
that Donald Trump suggested his lawyers also hide documents from the grand jury and the FBI, in addition to having his valet, Mr. Nauta, hide documents from the lawyers. That's the bulk of the case. Regardless of whether you think it was meritorious or not, to declassify or not, that's, you do need to understand that that's it. There is some some smoke screen and, and three-card money going on with a lot of uh, the president's defenders on television saying he had the power to declassify, and if he declassified, he declassified, blah, 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 blah. That's not actually what the bulk of the charges are about. The bulk of the charges are about giving documents to a grand jury that he chose not only not to, but to hide from the grand jury. I, I do have to think that William Barr is right here, that if half of what the prosecutor says is true, it's a pretty damning indictment. It's a pretty detailed indictment. Indictments generally don't go into this much depth, outlining transcripts of calls and and, and the transcripts of lawyers' memos and things like that. But there is a catch the prosecutor has to be aware of that is only now getting a little bit of coverage, and that is the judge who will be in charge is a Donald Trump judge who has given a series of opinions that have benefited the former president over time. And the left is a little bit concerned that this judge may throw the trial to Donald Trump. Well, so what? Judges are randomly assigned, and this judge was randomly assigned. And this judge gets the case. And the prosecutor is going to have to persuade the judge of the merits of some of the prosecutor's decisions. And if you can't, there's an appellate process. For all of the talk of the left about Donald Trump trying to delegitimize the prosecution and Donald Trump delegitimizing the process, the left has spent a hell of a lot of time over the past few years trying to delegitimize the federal court system and delegitimizing the Supreme Court. And now the Supreme Court and the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals come into play. And you've spent all this time casting doubt on it, just as you've attacked Donald Trump for doing it. The chickens are coming home to roost for all sides on this. To Rosemary's point, though, Ruth Mary's point, sorry. To Ruth Mary's point, she was in cryptography and classified documents. I want you to put this in perspective. In October of 2019, still president of the United States, a Chinese businesswoman was found guilty of sneaking into Mar-a-Lago with surveillance equipment on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party to try to surveil and spy on Donald Trump. Despite Mar-a-Lago having been penetrated by a Chinese spy, Donald Trump took these documents to Mar-a-Lago and stacked them up on a ballroom stage that was accessible to anyone at Mar-a-Lago. And some of the documents we are led to believe from the prosecution contained information relating to where soldiers and sailors were located around the world in classified stations. And the names, the identities, the locations of American spies. So if you are listening right now and you have a son or a daughter who's a special operator in the military who is deployed abroad in somewhere and you don't know where. They could have been at risk, their lives in danger, based on the documents piled up on a stage of a ballroom at Mar-a-Lago. For all the rhetoric of he supports and loves the troops, his handling of the documents put those troops' lives in danger. 
Now, you can quibble about the other candidates and how they have pursued this or not. The reality is that Donald Trump did not hand documents over to a grand jury. And if the prosecution is to be believed, and it'll be shown at trial, the documents include details of where our special operators were deployed around the world and our spies, our nuclear arsenal, and data about the nuclear arsenals of friends and enemies, assessments of military vulnerabilities of us and our allies and of opponents, and the invasion plans of at least one country that we are led to believe is Iran. Those are documents that should not be piled on a stage accessible to anyone in Mar-a-Lago. Not all of them were. Some of them were in rooms. Some of them were in a bathroom. But that's the problem here. But it's for Trump's opponents to make the case against him. Ultimately, at the end of the day, though, as the smoke screen comes up and people say uh, he had the right to declassify these documents, okay, let's concede he had the right to declassify the documents. The problem is that the grand jury was asking for any document with classifications stamps on them, and he refused to hand those over. And that's the bulk of the case, is him refusing to comply with a federal grand jury subpoena to hand over these documents. And if it's shown that that's the case, typically there's jail time. I I don't know whether he'll go to jail or not, but I would submit to you that this was not a wise thing for him to do. And here's the last point I want to make on this. The Democrats have been coming for Donald Trump since the moment he got on that escalator in 2015. They have been trying to take him out every which way they could. They impeached him twice, unsuccessfully. They've tried to find prosecutors to go after him. They've tried to get state attorney generals to go after him. And he made it stupidly easy for them to get him on this. All he had to do was hand the documents over to the grand jury. He knew they'd been trying to find something to throw him in jail over, and he made it stupidly easy for them in this particular case. So when I was in Denver this weekend, I got to hang out with the guys from Patriot Mobile. They had a booth there at this conference, and they are such good guys. And they've been telling me that when they first got started, They were only able to handle about 30% of the people who came to them, and now they're at 100%. They've grown so much in the past number of years. If you want to use Patriot Mobile, they've got room for you on their network, and they've got a massive network now. It stretches nationwide. They've got guaranteed great service, and they use the same cell towers you're already using, which is the genius of it. Not only that, you're doing business with a company that shares your values and funds the causes you care about. They take a portion of their profits and give it to the causes you care about. Only Patriot Mobile does that on the right. They've got left-wing groups that have been doing this for a while, and Patriot Mobile is our answer to that. And it works great. You guaranteed great service. You grow their profits. They grow the movement. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you call them 972-PATRIOT. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT. Or you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today. Transfer your cell phone service to them. You can even take your existing phone number to them. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Stand by, those of you on the phones, because I want to take your phone calls. Uh, And this is a short segment, so I don't have time, but I really want to get to those of you on the phones. Uh, We've been talking a lot about the FBI and FBI failures. You know one FBI failure that doesn't get a lot of attention? In the mid-1990s, the Unabomber released his manifesto. And a man named David read the manifesto. Uh, David's last name was Kaczynski, Ted Kaczynski's brother. And David recognized 
that much of the rhetoric and word choices sounded like the rhetoric and word choices his brother used. He hired a private investigator who put everything together and then took it all to the FBI. David Kaczynski turned his brother in. And the FBI agreed for David and his family's safety to keep it secret. Someone within the FBI leaked it to Dan Rather and CBS Evening News, and they broke the story. To this day, the FBI has never been able to identify the leaker. Another FBI screw-up people forget about. Uh, put that man's family in danger, though he was the one who actually identified Kaczynski. The FBI didn't. It was his own brother who turned him in. Just remember the chronic habitual failures of the FBI.